Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, dear listener. My name is Sophia, and I am a middle child of three young ladies. Make of that what you will. Um, let me tell you about uh, what's going on in studio wardrobe. Um, it's fucking freezing. That's what it is. It is act- actually freezing outside. It is zero degrees. And when I took the dogs for a walk this morning, shout out to my dog friends, Bertie and Gus, uh, cutest things in the world. Anyway, it was oh, fucking freezing. It was so horrible. And uh, I'm going to have to start wearing tights underneath my jeans. That's it. It's that time of year. Plus side, though, it was actually quite pretty. I could see loads of mist sort of gathering in the air and it looked like a kind of cloud had sort of fallen on the town. And and I was up on the hill. Oh, it was beautiful, beautiful. And then also it was quite frosty. So you could see all the spiders webs looking all cute, like they're a piece of jewellery. And then you see the big fuck off spider and you're just like, "Mm, no, no, stay away from that. So um, it's quite nice to be in um, my little makeshift studio um, because uh, I'm actually warming up for the first time all day. But enough of that. <laughs> enough of that chatter. So uh, I want to talk to you about this episode, which I really, really enjoyed recording. It is with the wonderful... Isabel Neve. Uh, she is a performer. She's also an opportunity grabber, very articulate young woman. And um, she's so interesting. She's got a really interesting background, but I'll let her talk to you about that. Um, I don't want to don't want to jump in too soon there. And um, she actually knows my little sister. Sorry, I, I did write something down this time, guys, but it's I just keep going off the page. It's not good. Stay on the page, Sophia. So, yeah, she knows my little sister, who also happens to be called Isabel, and uh, they were working together on a performing job. So you hear hear lots of references to Izzy, who's my little sister, um, and I promised I'd give her a little shout-out to her Instagram, which is at IsabelMDV, because we talk about her so much. And um, I'll let you know uh, Isabel Neves' Instagram handle at the end if you want to follow her. And, uh, oh, one last thing happy I've written this down here. I need to warn you that there is a Great British Bake Off spoiler here for the most recent season, if you're that way inclined. Um, So you've been warned. No one get angry at me. All right? Okay. Um, So here we go. I'm just going to let Isabel take it away. I literally like woke up half an hour ago, so I look stupid. Oh, but. don't even, don't even. Like, yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, my my hair is kind of standing on end right now. It's dry as hell, so don't worry you look about so it. So much like Izzy. Oh, do you think? <laughs> I think yeah. Well, you see, I'm the older one, so she looks like me, really. Um, oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I misspoke. I misspoke. <laughs> but how are you today? How are you doing? I'm good. I slept a little bit better last night, thankfully. So yeah, oh, good, feeling, good. Feeling a bit more energized, but I'm just starting uh, one week isolation because I have to go to the hospital next week. Um, so, but this is a nice way to like start my one week of isolation off. So, <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, I mean, so um, isolation is that? Do you have to do that just because you're going to hospital, or have you been somewhere beforehand? Or I'm not sure how this uh, works. No, neither am I, to be honest. I um, I had to book this procedure and then they basically said, like, you have to stay home for a week before, get a COVID test three days before, and then go in. So I guess it's just to make sure that you're COVID 
test comes back negative. And I mean, obviously yeah, we're in lockdown yeah. anyway, but I was babysitting. So mm. I had to kind of cancel my babysitting. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, and can, where do you get a COVID test from these days? Cause they're quite hard to come by. I find. I know. So I'm lucky because, uh, because of I'm going to the hospital, they book one in for you, like at the hospital, they've got a little, when I went last time, cause I went for my consultation and there's like a little hut outside that says like COVID patient testing center. And at mm. first I was thinking, am I about to walk past somewhere where only positive patients are going to get tested? I was like, I hope not. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think it's just in this little shed that you go get it. And then they just give the results directly to the hospital. So, um, but yeah, I'm going to have that procedure. And then I think I'm just going to go straight back to my parents after that, knowing that I have a negative test result because I don't know how easy it'll be to get another test before I go so yeah yeah that's the thing isn't it I mean um where, where yeah. are you based at the moment are you in the UK or so yeah so I'm in London my parents live in Amsterdam well I guess this is like part of my my story um but yeah my parents are Amsterdam based at the minute mm-hmm. um and I came back to London to work, but then we went into lockdowns. So I've been spending the last month in lockdown. And then the people that I was working for post-lockdown kind of screwed me over. So I ended up saying, basically, I'm not coming back. And yeah, so it was a bit of a wasted trip back to the UK. But I mean, ultimately, this is where I want to be. And I'm currently on pre-settled status and I'm trying to get my settled status. So I have to be here for five years continuously. Um, so I guess whatever time I spend here goes towards that. So it's not fully wasted time, but it's definitely wasted money at the moment. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's London for you anyway. <laughs> London and it's I think like in terms of COVID I've been lucky compared to lots of other people so I'm definitely not complaining about that but it has just been a bit like every time I move one step forward I go three steps backwards so Mm. just about like picking myself back up again I guess yeah I mean it's been a really weird year for any kind of planning I think planning is just out the window completely um (laughs) 2020 doesn't care about your plans No, exactly. And like, obviously, so Izzy and I work for the same company. Um, and like, I randomly got, I wasn't supposed to do a season this year. And I randomly got a message from them in August being like, can you fly to Cyprus next week? And normally I would say no, but this year I was like, I've got nothing else on, like, why not? So I got all my paperwork and everything. And then the hotel didn't end up opening. So again, it was like false hope that I was going to go do something, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. But um, well, I'm, I'm happy that you're, you know, you're, you're healthy for now and like you, you've yes. got somewhere to be and oh God, yes, what a sure. stressful old time. But um, where are you? So I'm in Wiltshire right now in my parents' okay. house. Um, Izzy's actually here as well, somewhere around. Oh, is she? Um, yeah, she is. And um, yeah, so it's been kind of weird. I mean, uh, I think I've, I've said this before um, on this podcast, but like, yeah, I'm here because uh, well, basically I moved out of London last year and I've stayed mm-hmm. here because of 2020. I've stayed here a lot longer than I planned to. Um, right. But, you know, it's making me feel grateful. Like, I mean, I haven't had a bad lockdown compared to a lot of people. Like, I feel quite yeah, grateful sure. that I've got somewhere to be and, like, my parents actually, you know, would w- welcome me home and I get yeah. good food. I can actually eat these days, which is nice. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's no. small things to be I- grateful for. Yeah, I can't imagine like not having family support right now. And that's why like regardless of how crappy it is that you have to like go home and live with your parents, I'm grateful that I even get that opportunity and that, you know, they're not asking me for any 
monetary compensation. Like they're just like, come here for as long as you need. Like that's definitely a blessing for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, speaking of your parents, um, question I always ask people at the beginning of the podcast is where did you grow up? Okay. So normally I would feel super pretentious talking about this, but because it's a podcast about this. This is not the space. This this is (laughs) honestly no judgment. This is the space for it. Yes. Um, so ordinarily I I would usually just say I'm from Singapore, but the full story is I was born in Hong Kong. Um, and then when I was about one year old, I went to Singapore for four years. We then moved to Russia for four years. Then we moved back to Singapore for uh, the remainder of my kind of adolescent life. And then when I was 17, I moved to New York to go to NYU for university. And then while I was there, I kind of did a semester abroad in London and I fell in love with London and kind of figured this was the place that I wanted to be. Um, So ended up moving here full time. But ethnically my mother is danish and my dad is dutch um and so i do have family in both those places as well but i personally never lived there until this year of course um but yeah my parents are based in holland and my grandparents are based in denmark so we used to go maybe once a year to go visit them um but yeah that's kind of the summary of everything oh wow so that really is all over all over the place. <laughs> All over the shop, yeah. Um, basically, the Russia stint always seems a bit random to people because otherwise, you know, we were in Asia for most of my childhood. Um, but essentially, my dad worked for a bank, a Dutch bank, um, which is where my parents met. And they said to him, if you go to Russia for two years, you can choose anywhere in the world to go afterwards. So my parents were like, okay, you know, we'll do it. It'll, it'll be an adventure for sure. And um, then when we were there, oh, do you mind just staying two more years? And I absolutely loved it. Like I, because we lived in a gated community and my school was within that community and there was a supermarket and a bowling alley and kind of all my friends were there because I went to school there. Um, I kind of loved it because I had quite a lot of freedom considering we lived in Russia. Um, but yeah, my parents were not too happy for the two-year extension, but ultimately then they got to decide, you know, where they wanted to go afterwards. And I'm so grateful that we got to go back to Singapore because I couldn't imagine growing up anywhere else. I mean, it was, it was, it's my favorite place on, on earth, really. So, yeah. I mean, it sounds amazing. Singapore, like a place to, to grow up in. I mean, were you born there? No, I was born in Hong Kong. Um, but Singapore, I mean, I, I don't remember Hong Kong at all. I was way too young for that. Um, you know, I only have my first memories really when I was like in Russia, I think. Um, so for me, that's why I consider Singapore home because I kind of spent from when I was, I think eight until 18, I think I was there. Um, so, you know, that's where I kind of met the people that shaped who I am. And that's definitely the culture that shaped who I am. Um, I would definitely consider myself Singaporean, um, which baffles a lot of people. But, you know, I, when people ask me, you know, oh, but where are you really from? And I say, you know, Denmark or Holland. And then they ask me, oh, what's what's that like? What's Denmark or Holland like? And I can't tell them because I've never lived there. I mean, I'm essentially equally a tourist as, as people that just go there on holiday. Um, so that's why I kind of just say Singapore, because if someone asks me about Singapore, I can give you every detail ever. Um, and, you know, even now I, I have to have Singaporean food at least once a week to feel happy, basically. Um, it's definitely, yeah, where I would consider home. But I think 
now that my parents are in Amsterdam, that has become a little bit more home. I think home kind of depends on where my family is as much as it does, you know, where I grew up. Um, it kind of, it's kind of, home is kind of fluid for me, to be honest. Mm. That's a nice way of describing it, actually. Home is fluid. Um, but yeah. when, when people ask you as well, like, where are you really from? That's such a loaded question, really, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And I, I always, you know, try my best not to be like, well, what do you mean? Like, I, my first instinct is always to kind of attack them on their prejudices and be like, why are you asking me that question? Because when someone tells me where they're from, my immediate instinct is not, oh, but where are you really from? You know, that why would that person tell me a place if they're not really from there? Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I always, you know, and I, I'm not going to lie, like I found it a lot in the UK is people will say, oh, but you don't look like you're from Singapore. And I've had that quite a few times. I worked in a pub and that was kind of a very common thing that I had to deal with. Um, and I would say, well, what do you think people from Singapore look like? And as soon as you ask that question, people get uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, you should have probably been uncomfortable one step before that (laughs) when you asked asked me where I was from. Um, So yeah, and then, you know, I always say to them, it's usually an elderly white man. And I say to them, oh, well, you don't look like you're from England. And then they're just fully taken aback. And I'm like, well, you know, what my perception of what English people look like might be the same as your perception of what Singaporean people look like. I mean, everyone's perception of what someone should look like is very like arbitrary and stereotypical. And I just, it's a very frustrating statement, but I also understand that not a lot of people uh, have like a close connection to the kind of life that I grew up with and, and that a lot of other people grew up with where you don't necessarily look like where you're from. Mm. Um, yeah, but yeah, at the same so, time, I mean, I suppose, like, <laughs> the idea is, like, I suppose when people are like, where are you really from? It comes back to the sort of, you know, why don't they take you at your face value? Like you said, it's like, why yeah. would you Why would you bother lying about something like that, you know? Exactly. That's what I mean. Why would I say Singapore if I didn't really identify as Singaporean? I mean, it's not just a fun game for me to then have to spend five minutes explaining to you my entire life story. Um and, and yeah, I get, I also, I have an American accent. Well, some people think it's more American. Some people think it's a mix. I've gotten Irish. I've gotten Canadian. I've gotten kind of everything. Um, and you know, so many, I mean, this is more common than the, where are you really from is, oh, so where in the U S are you from? You know, people think they're being clever. They pick up on your accent and they go, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll make conversation, which I don't mind as much because I think it's, it's a way of showing interest in where I'm from. Right. But it's the assumption that sometimes you have to be like, oh, no, I'm not from America. And they're like, oh, okay, Canada. And you're like, no, still not close. And then I, I say to them, I say, you're never going to guess where I'm from. And they're like, why? Is it somewhere in Europe? I'm like, no, it's somewhere in Asia. And then their faces just immediately change. And they're like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, it's funny as well, because I get Irish and I have a friend who's Irish who just is baffled that I get Irish. She's like, you do not sound Irish at all. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's always, it's always funny to see what people will come up with. But I mean, at the end of the day, I I don't get mad at any of it because I don't think that anyone's doing it from a malicious point of view. I think it's just not necessarily ignorance, but not having enough education about people. Uh, I, I don't know how to word it properly, but just not, not being educated on the fact that, you know, people have different lives from you and people have different upbringings from you. And just because, you know, you grew up in one place doesn't mean that other people 
have that similar place that they can call home and that they can have a straightforward answer to where are you from? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I always try and take those moments as teaching opportunities and just be like, oh yeah, like, you know, my dad was an expat or, you know, th- that's just the way my life was. Um, <laughs> I wonder if it's yeah. also tied into um, people wanting to, because they want to be familiar with the kind of person that you might be perceived to be or like that you are. So instead of asking questions and just taking your answers at face value, they really want to just put you in a box so they can go, oh, you're, you're, you're this person or you're that kind of person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, people associate a lot about a person with their culture. And so, you know, if I were to say that I was American, I think people would have a lot of preconceived notions about what that would mean for me as a person. Um, And yeah, I I think you're completely right. People like to box people in boxes, for lack of a better way of saying that, um, because it means that they already know more about that person than that person has offered them. You know, if someone says they're from the UK, you you already have an idea of what kind of person they are based on stereotypes and, and what you know of that culture. So yeah, I think it's definitely people wanting to relate to you in some way. And, you know, if usually if they say, oh, where in the US are you from? It's because they've been somewhere in the US and they want to see if they can connect to you and, you know, start a conversation. Um, so yeah, yeah, like I said, it's definitely not malicious. I, but I think, I think it's problematic, but not uh, malicious. Yeah. Mm. Did you ever encounter anything like that just out of interest in, uh, in Singapore or Russia or, or New York even? With people asking me where I was from? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I'll have to speak on Singapore because my memories of Russia and, well, no, I mean, to be fair, I had a lot of experiences in New York that I could talk about. But um, I mean, starting with Singapore, I guess when we were in Singapore, it was kind of implied that that was home for us. And so when I was in Singapore, I would tell people that I was from Denmark and Holland because... Um, you know, in our school setting, I mean, I went to an international school with people from everywhere on the planet and people like me who were mixed, um, not, not just mixed race, but mixed ethnicity and and mixed cultures. Um, so yeah, I think it wasn't so much in Singapore, um, because people kind of just said where they were ethnically from, because it was implied that we were from Singapore. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Singapore is, is a difficult one because, you know, growing up in an Asian culture as someone who is white, I mean, there's a whole bag of, of complexities that comes with that. And, you know, we definitely had expat privilege. Um, and, you know, even over the last couple of months with, with the kind of rise of Black Lives Matter, um, I've, I've listened to a lot of people's stories that went to the same school as me that had a completely different experience uh, than I did because they weren't uh, white which honestly was very surprising for me because, you know, we went to this school that preached, you know, inclusivity and, you know, cultural diversity. But uh, within that, there was obviously still some uh, implied, like not implied, sorry, some uh, just inherent privilege that came with having white skin, which is unfortunate, but it's, it's part of the issue of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I would say, you know, I had, a great time in Singapore, but that, that wasn't necessarily the experience of other people. And I don't want to misrepresent other people's experience because I think it's important that, 
you know, the fact that I was white in Singapore is brought up and, you know, is known because there was sometimes backlash from, from people from Singapore who would say, you know, you shouldn't be here. Like, this is for us. You can, you can go to concerts in your home country or you can do this in your home country. And then it was kind of, then you feel almost displaced because you're like, well, I consider this my home, but should I not consider this my home? Like, do they have a point, you know? Mm. Um, and so I think, and, and this is all upon reflection because when I was, you know, 13, 14, I didn't have enough of knowledge about these topics to, to be this reflective on them. I think I was like blissfully ignorant. Um, but upon reflection, you know, there's, there's definitely intricacies that come with, um, being white, but considering yourself from an Asian country. Um, and I never want to like appropriate Singaporean culture and say that, you know, I am fully Singaporean because as much as I say, I am from Singapore and I am Singaporean, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I wasn't born into this culture. This is a culture that I picked up through being there, but it's not necessarily in my blood, you know? Um, yeah. I, mean, I think I went off on a massive tangent from your question there. No, no, um, no, no. This is the place for tangents. We welcome them. We welcome them. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting um, what you say about like, yeah, with um, with Singapore, like that's a culture that you've grown up in for a lot of your sort of development years. And then mm-hmm. to have that culture reject you in a certain way or in certain aspects, it's quite yeah. confusing. And I think that's what a lot of people um, who have mixed backgrounds, whether that's, you know, um, being a third culture kid or if, even if like you're second generation, like um, immigrant or expat to like, you know, UK or wherever. And yeah. you're sort of divided between like, you know, your parents might be from a different country, but you've grown up your whole life in that country. And then all of a sudden it rejects you due to, um, whatever it is, like, uh, any kind of prejudice, be that discrimination against like race, class, um, um, even your sexuality, whatever it is, it becomes quite, it's, you're right. It becomes quite, um, you just, you're displaced. And then that's probably where the fluidity of your feeling of home kind of comes mm-hmm. in. I'm going to keep using that. that. That's such a good way to describe it. Um, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was weird as well because obviously, you know, then I would get these people telling me that, you know, Singapore is not my home, but mm-hmm. I would go to the Netherlands and I would also get Dutch people telling me like, Oh, you speak Dutch with a weird accent or, you know, I was always insecure about speaking Dutch because I didn't get to practice until one time a year when I was there for a week. And that obviously meant that my Dutch was not really up to par for talking to people in a, in a native way. Um, so then, you know, I would be in Holland and I wouldn't feel at all integrated into that society. I I wouldn't be able to kind of contribute to conversations or follow along with conversations. And yeah, that's why that's why it's always, it's always a difficult question of where is home. And I mean, it was massively challenged in New York. Um, I don't know. I'm worried that, that people will listen to this and, and be like, I wasn't like that or whatever, but I did really have a difficult time in New York. Um, I really, really struggled. And I think it's because I went there with the expectation that New York is like this cosmopolitan international place. And, you know, I went to NYU, which is supposed to be super international. Like I think they claim like 50% of the student body is international. And, you know, on my first day, my teacher said, where are you really from? Right. Which was immediately like a smack in the face, like, Oh, okay. This is what it's like 
you know? And I, I would say, you know, my classmates were good about it. And, you know, there were a few people that were from the UK or from India or from other places, but um, they weren't necessarily third culture. They were mostly uh, international kids. Um, and, you know, it was to the point where some of my fellow students would call me Singapore. They wouldn't call me Isabel. They would call me Singapore. <laughs> and, you know, as much as I actually found it endearing because I thought, okay, well, at least they know something about me. And, you know, they find it, I guess, cool enough to, to call me that, you know, it was kind of like, well, I am also a human being separate to where I grew up. You know, I'm not defined by the fact that I'm from Singapore. I have many other parts of my personality. And sometimes it did feel like I was just pushed into this box of like, you're from Singapore. I don't understand where you're from. You're weird, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, even within the first week, you know, I said at the beginning of this podcast, I usually feel pretentious telling people where I'm from. And I very much got that feeling in university, which was like, you know, you have the inevitable first week where you have to introduce yourself and go around the circle and say where you're from and say a fun fact about yourself. And where I was from would turn into the fun fact about myself instead of other people got to just say like, I'm from here and this is, you know, what I like. It was never questioned. Whereas mine was always questioned. Mine was always tell us more, tell us, you know, explain to us. Um, and again, I don't think that there was ever any negative intentions with that, but I definitely felt alienated within the first week. And I think it went away as the year went on. Um, and, you know, I was lucky enough that some of my friends from Singapore also went to New York. And so I got to kind of lean on them and they had had similar experiences. But yeah, it definitely wasn't the first week of college that I expected I was going to have. I thought I would like immediately feel integrated and that wasn't my experience. Not yeah. until I came to London, at least, where I felt like people understood it a little better. That's interesting, because when you said about the fun fact of sharing yeah. where you lived, because I, I used to do that. And then when I got to university, I stopped doing it because um, I remember, this is terrible, but you know, confession time. I, yeah. There was another guy in my class and we were going around like, yeah, fun fact here and there. And then this mm -hmm. guy was like, um, he said he lived in Spain for like five years so he could speak fluent Spanish, blah, blah, blah. And for some reason, I even found myself thinking, <laughs> oh, maybe he's being a bit pretentious here. Or maybe I just didn't like his attitude. I'm not sure what it was. Um, right. But then I, I just stopped using my, 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 like talking about my upbringing, really. Yeah. Um, unless people really asked about it because for some reason I felt quite yeah, pretentious, a bit ashamed that, you know, I didn't have any roots perhaps. And also, yeah. I mean, I had, um, <laughs> I had a lot of people in my class who are, I call them the neo-Marxist clan because they were very like, you know, they, they took umbrage with any sort of t tiny little bit of privilege, whatever it was, and right. which is fine. Like you've got to question things, but at the same time, it just meant that I would suppress you know, a lot mm -hmm. more about my life and I, I mm -hmm. really protect it. It was like something a bit more precious and personal. And yeah, yeah. you'd really have to pick and choose who it was that you shared that stuff with. Obviously over the years, you know, I became a bit more confident with just being like, yeah, and you know, this is my life. But um, yeah, yeah, particularly I with, yeah, I, yeah, I feel exactly the same way as, as you've just voiced, you know, that you feel almost ashamed of it. And then you feel ashamed of being ashamed because you feel like there's nothing wrong with it. There but, are so many layers. Think, <laughs> yeah, there is. There really is. Yeah. Yeah. It comes from a root of perhaps thinking like, 
you just fell into this sort of life. Like it's not something that you chose mm-hmm. actively. So I wonder if it's a, a thing of like, oh, maybe we didn't really deserve it or it's something we couldn't help. So, but I don't know. It's, it's a shame that we just need to get rid of um, slowly and surely. I'm I sure think, we'll get there. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe part of the shame that I have is that I feel so privileged to have had the upbringing that I had and I would never ever change anything about it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this. There are some real difficulties that are very specific to growing up as a third culture kid that you do kind of grow up with and, and you know, you don't have a sense of home. And for me, at least, you know, I kind of struggled making really meaningful friendships because I always had in the back of my mind, well, I'm going to leave soon. And as much as you say you're going to keep in touch, you say you're going to talk on Facebook or email or whatever, it is never the same with that person. And, you know, you do have those friend, those one in a million friendships that, that do kind of transcend uh, those borders. But ultimately, you know, it was my friend would move away and then they would have a whole new life and a whole new group of friends. And then I would automatically take the backseat. And I'm sure that that was the same case for when I moved. Like I'm sure there were people that kind of took the backseat in my life. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's definitely shaped how I kind of form connections with people and, and how much importance I put on those connections with people. Because I always tell people, you know, m- where I live, the friends that I have are my family in that place. And sometimes I feel like other people are quite casual about their friendships, whereas I'm quite serious about my friendships. And, you know, I put love and time and effort into my friendships because those are the people that I lean on when I can't be with my family, especially when I was in New York and they were in Singapore, you know, we had 12 hours time difference. So when I was waking up, they were going to bed and vice versa. And, you know, I would only get to see them one time a year for maybe three weeks. So I really placed a lot of importance on the friendships that I made and because other people grew up differently, it wasn't necessarily always reciprocated. Um, so yeah, I think that part of my shame is always, I don't want to complain about the way that I grew up because I would never change it. And I'm aware that, you know, I was in such a privileged position, but at the same time, it has left me with a few things that I now carry with me into my adult life that, that kind of affect the way that I interact with other people. Mm, I definitely, I, I definitely hear that because yeah, I'm a bit like that in that I placed a lot of value of my friendships and yeah. I've slowly had to talk, uh, teach myself because I have found myself in the UK for a long time now. I've had to teach myself to sort of <laughs> like calm down a little bit, like maybe yeah. don't put too much pressure on them because like you say, um, lots of people don't have that sort of um, mentality towards these friendships. Mm-hmm. And because I used to think like when I was little, I thought if yeah. you're someone's best friend, you could only have one best friend. And then oh, that, I thought the same. That was it. Like, <laughs> and you're like, right, we're in this together now. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. No more best friends. But then yeah. like, I think that mentality sort of stuck, stuck with me a little bit because I, uh, there was a point in my life where I think I formed really intense friendships really quickly. And then mm-hmm. as soon as they started, they were over again. And, um, it was quite, uh, yeah, I wonder if that was me sort of trying to hold on to that sort of right. feeling of like belonging or whatever it was, but it's, um, it makes, yeah, for making friends quite, yeah, it's interesting because you can make friends quite easily. I find, I mean, I don't know if oh, you found for that. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think I can definitely make surface level friendships very easily. Cause I have 
a lot to talk about. And, you know, often if someone's from somewhere, I've been to that place. And so I can, you know, it's like we were talking about earlier, you know, people try to relate to you based on where you're from. Um, and, and often because, you know, we've kind of grown up around the world, we can relate to people more easily. Um, but yeah, I would say most of the times my friendships are surface level through no fault of mine or theirs. I mean, people approach friendships differently and it's just about finding those people that understand like what you're looking from, for from a friendship and you know what you're going to give in return. Um, but I, I do feel like it is a very niche group of people that kind of have the same understanding of friendship as I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wonder... Um... If I could backtrack a little bit, yeah. um, I wonder um, what your relationship is with languages, having lived all over. And I imagine that, um, I'm, forgive my ignorance, I'm not sure what language they speak in Singapore. No, that's okay. Um, I, I mean, I'm probably going to Google it. I know there's four national languages, mm-hmm. um, but uh, English is one of them. So people often, you know, when I say I'm from Singapore, they go, oh, do you speak the language? And I'm like, well, yes, it's English. So, right. <laughs> um, okay, I've just looked it up. It's Tamil, English, Malay, and Mandarin. Oh, okay. um, those are the four national languages. So, yeah, uh, I would say English was not my first language. It is now, but uh, my parents raised me. My mom would speak Danish to me and my dad would speak Dutch. And so I kind of grew up learning both of those languages at the same time. And people always, you know, say, oh, that's so impressive. You speak three languages. But I was very lucky in that I did not have to work for those languages at all. I have to work for it slightly now in that, you know, when I go back to those countries, I have, it takes me a little bit to get into those languages again. But I, you know, it's not like I spent years at school learning those languages. I was very lucky. I just kind of, they were automatically programmed into my mind. Um, I did learn Mandarin. I went to a Montessori when I was three years old, three till, till I started real school, I guess. Um, and they did speak Mandarin there. Um, and, and so I would say I was quite fluent. My mom says I would come home and speak Mandarin and they would be like, what on earth are you saying? Cause obviously they didn't speak Mandarin. Um, but then I kind of went to the opposite end of the world where I lived in Russia where, uh, you know, granted Chinese and Russians don't really get along very well. Um, as in international relations wise. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't say there was really anyone in Russia that spoke Mandarin. And so very quickly, as quickly as I learned it, I lost it again um, because I didn't have anyone to practice it with. And then of course I was uh, in school and I was learning Russian. Um, and again, like I was quite quite quick at picking those up. I think when you're young, you do pick languages up quite easily. And the fact that I already spoke three languages kind of helped me out as well. My brain already kind of understood how to do that. Um, but yeah, then, you know, four years later, we went back to Singapore. And so there was no one that spoke Russia, Russian. So uh, yeah. And then I took French in school for 11 years. And for some reason that just never stuck. Um, I think my brain is kind of maxed out uh, its capacity of languages. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my grandparents don't speak English, so I do have to speak Danish to them. I mean, they speak a little bit of English, but, um, you know, that is mostly where I get my Danish practice from. And again, that is one week of the year. Um, I can speak it for sure, but, you know, people always say, oh, why don't you get like a translating job or like a... Um, whatever it's called, when you write down things, a copywriter or whatever it's called. Um, And I always say, you know, I'm not that fluent. I would say I'm fluent, but 
you know, writing and reading is maybe lacking a little bit more because obviously I was raised speaking the language, but not studying the intricacies of how it's written and how, how you read it. Um, so yeah, those three languages for me. Um, and then, you know, I know the odd phrase of lots of different languages and I I always try and learn how to say hello. When I would go on holiday, I would always try and learn, you know, hello, thank you, please. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've got the, I've got a few random sentences in my arsenal, but yeah, yeah. I, I used to do, I, I used to be obsessed with trying to learn how to count up to, up to 10 in as many languages as I can. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. And I can still like, from when we lived in Estonia, I could still count up to 10 in Estonian, but, and I can say hello and thank you, but that's about it really. That's all that's, that's like, quite impressive. But, um, I, oh, I was going to ask you a question about, um, oh yeah. So with your Danish and stuff, um, mm-hmm. Do you find like, cause I'm the same with German. Like I never learned German written down and my German's yeah. absolutely shocking now. Um, <laughs> but I'm quite the same in that. Like when I go visit my grandma, like I have to speak German because she doesn't speak any English. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and it's funny cause my mum's a German teacher and she even says that my oh, grandma, really? she, she says my grandma doesn't speak grammatically correct German. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> she's just, yeah. She uses a lot of like lo- like colloquialisms and things as well. And so sometimes yeah. my mum doesn't really know what she's on about, but Maybe she's just an old person. Maybe it's an old person thing. But um, <laughs> I've really got on a tangent there. But my point no, you're was, good. Um, <laughs> when, um, when you see words written down, like in, in Danish, do you sometimes get surprised by how they're spelt? Because I have that in German. Like I recently learned um, Reisverschluss, which means, mm-hmm. um, you know, your zip. And I, I, when I saw it written down, I was like, hang on a second. Because as it turns out, I've been saying it wrong all these years because I was just listening oh. and I thought it was Reiselschluss, which is completely oh, wrong. Yes. But, but I don't know if you've had though, that. Because Schloss is like lock, isn't it? So it makes like a pant lock. I get it. I get it. Thank you. See, also, I just said pant and I feel like I should clarify because, okay, my, my, uh, See, sometimes I lose the ability to speak English altogether. Like my brain just kind of short circuits and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm saying. Other times I use British words and then other times I use American words. So I still say pants for trousers and I still say, like I say queue instead of line or I say lift instead of elevator. Like, so sometimes I say things that come across badly in English, but pants, I meant trousers. Um, no, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, Danish, I don't know if you've ever seen the Danish language written down, but they, I mean, it is not pronounced any way how it is spelled. So you literally have random H's, random D's. I mean, even my mum sometimes is like, it makes no sense. Like I understand. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it is definitely kind of a thing where I say it out loud. I try and figure out how it's spelled. I do use a bit of Google Translate if I'm WhatsApping my grandparents just to make sure that they understand what I'm trying to say. Um, but honestly, my biggest struggle has been that there is a few words in both the Dutch language and the Danish language that are the same, but they mean different things. And so sometimes I'll be speaking a Danish sentence and a Dutch word will come out, which is the right word, but it has a completely different meaning in Danish. So I can't think of an example right now because often it just kind of happens in the moment. Um, but that is what I struggle with the most is just remembering which language is which because English is very much autopilot, but Danish and Dutch is my brain has to work for it. And sometimes my brain combines the two languages and then I have to just take a second and be like, okay, hang on, what's going on here? 
um, thankfully my grandparents are very forgiving and, you know, they're not strict about it at all. And they understand that I haven't grown up with their language. And so, you know, they always tell me, no, you're doing a great job. Like, don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some, uh, some moments, even in English when, you know, I don't know how to say something in English, even though it is kind of my first language. So, um, yeah, sometimes I feel like I can't communicate in any language what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's interesting how the brain works, isn't it? How some words will stick in a certain language, language and like others won't. Like, and, and how you can sort of mishmash them all. I bet that's what it's like at your parents' house. You're all just like mishmashing like Dutch, Danish and English all together. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I am lazy, so I always speak English to my parents and thankfully they can both understand and speak English fluently. Um, my mum will respond in Danish, my dad will respond in Dutch and it just works. Like we all, we, we can all understand and we can all respond and, you know, we get it. My dad doesn't speak Danish. So if mum and I need to like discuss something secret, it's very easy to just discuss it in Danish. Um, but yeah, it is very much like a mixed household. And my parents, when I was younger, did try and say, you know, like, try and respond in Danish or try and respond in Dutch. And sometimes I do now, mostly because I've been in Holland for a majority of this year because of COVID. And so it, I've kind of been around the language a bit longer and gotten more confident speaking it. Um, but I think they've kind of given up on making me speak the languages now and, and they just kind of let me respond in English, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> No, that is nice. I mean, well, I still hold a grudge against my parents for not pushing me into learning languages a bit better because I just got so lazy and I just, just, I, I didn't even bother. And also because we went to like an English boarding school and then like mm. all the opportunity we had to learn languages was in class, but I found those classes so boring and so I dull. Well. I just didn't, that, that's probably why French never stuck with me either because I just, I couldn't get my head around it and Maybe I was just a really, maybe my attention span was really bad at school. That's definitely the truth, actually. I was a massive doodler and I would just like go off with my own imagination. But like, it's funny. Yeah, sometimes things will come back to me, like little things. And I think it's, but it's usually the important stuff in life, like dinner's ready or yeah. stuff like that in German yeah. or, or Spanish or whatever. Well, actually, I was going to say, like, one of the other things that I've noticed is, you know, I've got... um uh, two nephews. Well, I've got 14 nephews and nieces, but that's another story. Um, I've got, you know, a couple of nieces and nephews that are, uh, older than me and my age. And so they've kind of become the people that I spend time with when I go back to Amsterdam. And I do find that because I didn't like, I learned, uh, D Dutch from my parents and I learned Dutch in like a very academic setting. So sometimes they're throwing around these slang words or like these swear words, and I have no idea what it means. And I also don't feel like I can contribute. You know, in English, you pick up slang and you, you kind of have words with your friends that you use in, in conversation. And when, it, when I'm speaking Dutch, like I feel like they're joking around and I'm like very formally responding, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's, def that's definitely one thing that I noticed. I mean, thankfully my granddad taught me lots of Danish swear words. So I, you know, I'm covered in that aspect, um, <laughs> against my mother's wishes. Um, but no, when I do, when I do speak Dutch, you know, I, th there's no way of learning that without living in that country because you can't really have a lesson on how to speak Dutch slang, you know, not, not even necessarily slang, but just to talk like a young person, you know, like you have to actually integrate yourself into that society in order to pick up on the little nuances and the little phrases that people use regularly. Oh, definitely. Um, so I feel like that's, that's something that I wish I had more knowledge of, but you know, again, with COVID, even though I was there, I wasn't necessarily seeing people because I was isolating at home. So, um, 
I think if I moved to Holland for like a year, I would probably have a better understanding of, of kind of young people language, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I'll ever move to Holland. That's, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, and um, speaking of that, actually, I mean, um, do you, have you found yourself like in your adult life, like growing up, have you found yourself moving quite often? Um, I have to say yes, not because I necessarily wanted to, but because I'm very much a person that follows opportunities that I have. Um, so yeah, I moved to New York and I very much was like, this is the place for me. I'd been there for one summer before and I fell in love with it. And, you know, I just adored New York and I got into NYU, which is, you know, quite a good acting school. And I was really excited about that. I went for performance. And so for me, you know, New York, Broadway seemed to be the best place to be. Um, and then, you know, because of the whole visa situation, I wasn't able to work in the US. And so one summer I thought, you know, I'm now 19 years old. I've never worked a day in my life because I couldn't work in Singapore until I was 18. I left Singapore before I was 18. I moved to New York where I then couldn't work because of my whole visa situation. So I thought, you know, I'm going back to to Europe for the summer anyway. Let me see if I can pop over to London, work there because there's obviously a massive theater scene there. Um, I had a couple of friends that were there. And so I applied for a couple of internships in London and thankfully got one at the Finborough Theatre. And so I kind of planned, okay, this summer I'm going to go to London. I'm going to spend a little bit of time there, work there, make some money for the first time in my life. Um, And (laughs) then I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I love London. Um, I absolutely fell in love with London. I met an incredible group of people that kind of did give me that family feeling that I didn't really have in New York. Um, so then I ended up staying on and doing a semester abroad. I say in quotation marks because abroad is kind of, I don't know what that means. Um, cause New York was technically a semester abroad for me. Um, so I ended up staying on until December and then I went back to New York and then I loved it so much that I went back to London for my last semester. And then, you know, I thought, okay, I'm in London. I'm going to be here for the next, you know, two years. You know, I invested in a coffee machine. That is a big thing for me because, <laughs> I'm sure you know, we live out of suitcases. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to buy an actual piece of furniture. And that means that I'm going to stay here. And uh, then I got that job uh, with that company that your sister worked for as well, uh, Live Business, where I was then going to be posted abroad for, you know, X amount of months. Originally, I was supposed to go to Cyprus for eight months. Um, I ended up going to Sardinia for six months. And when I got that job offer, I did it mostly for the audition experience. I wanted to kind of get over my fear of auditioning. I did terribly, by the way. Don't know how I got that job. Um, And then, you know, she was kind of like, okay, well, rehearsal start next week. And, you know, you'll be flying out sometime in March. And I was thinking, oh my God, you know, I've just said that I was going to stay here for the next two, three years, whatever. And now, you know, am I really going to do this again? Am I going to, you know, pick up and move? But at the end of the day, I told myself, you know, I've gone to university for performing. This would be my first performing job where I would get paid to perform. Plus, you know, Sardinia doesn't look that bad, according to Google. So I did think, you know, I have to kind of take this opportunity. London will be here when I get back. You know, I'm going to go. And um, I did. And it was honestly the best decision I could have ever made in my life. Um, yeah, I have absolutely no regrets about that. I I was kind of sad about leaving London, but then, you know, I was there for six months again and then COVID happened. So I ended up leaving anyway. I think like 
life is just way too unpredictable for me to really say that I'm going to settle down anywhere permanently. Um, and I do kind of have that thing of when I'm abroad, I wish I was settled down. And when I'm settled down, I wish I was traveling. And, uh, it's something that, you know, people ask you, where do you want to settle down when you're older? And I never know how to answer that question because honestly, I don't know if I can see myself settling down and, you know, I want to get onto the property ladder and buy a house, but then it's like, which country am I buying a house in? Like, there are so many questions for me regarding my future and, you know, where I want to kind of make a life for myself. Mm. Um, that I think the only thing that I really have a principle on is like following my heart and doing whatever I decide is best. And if that means staying somewhere for a few years, then I'll do that. And if it means, you know, going somewhere else, then I have no hesitations doing that either. And I think, you know, moving around a lot as a kid has meant that I am able to more freely take these opportunities. You know, I speak to some of my friends who say, you know, I don't know how you're doing this, like going to Sardinia for six months. Like I, I could never do that. And I'm grateful that I've had enough practice in my childhood that I'm okay to kind of say, okay, I'm leaving for six months. I will be back. Like I will see you again and I will maintain my friendship with you. And six months is very different to, you know, four years or six years or whatever. Oh yeah, totally. Um, I mean, Izzy and yeah. I actually were watching um, the Great British Bake Off mm -hmm. <laughs> the other day. And there was this one guy, Scottish guy, um, spoiler, spoiler alert, if anyone hasn't seen it, I mean, <laughs> He, he won, um, but he was saying this is the longest I've ever spent away from my family. And it was like six weeks or something or eight weeks. And both oh, wow. Izzy and I were like, huh, that's interesting. Cause like that yeah. for us is like totally normal. But then also yeah. with the, to go back as well to what you were saying. Um, it's funny like when people um, ask you about settling down. I mean, I know I asked you, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, uh, about moving around and stuff, but like, it's almost as if, you know, your happiness depends on this li list ticking. It's like, right getting yourself a property, finding yourself a partner, yeah. having a family, a stable job, instead of like, no one actually asks you like whether you're happy, I find. It's always yeah. like, so what are you, you going to do next? Like, how are you going to yeah. get to that end point? As if there is an end point. It's really For quite sure. bizarre. For sure. Yeah. And I don't know if, I don't know if maybe people ask us more than other people, you know, where do you think you're going to settle down? Because I think, I think for other people, sometimes it's kind of a given like, well, you know, this is where I grew up. This is where my family is. So I want to have my family there. And that is something that I think about is like, you know, I don't want to have grandkids that my parents aren't nearby to kind of see their grandkids, you know, but at the same time, I grew up 12 hours away from my grandparents and I still have an incredible relationship with them. I don't think that, you know, I, you know, I have cousins that live 10 minutes away from where they live. And I don't think that, that our relationship is any different from their relationship with my cousins. So it is kind of a thing of, I want to be close to my parents, but at the same time, I have seen firsthand that you don't have to be close to your family in order to have a happy life. Um, I think you can be equally happy in both scenarios. They're, they just are different scenarios. Um, and I do find that people are more curious because I don't necessarily have one place. I mean, even in regards to weddings, I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but I have always thought, you know, oh, well, I'll get married in a destination wedding because people will have to fly for my wedding regardless of where I have it. If I have it in the Netherlands, I've got friends from London, friend, like family in, the, in, the, in Denmark. I've got friends in New York, you know, people are going to have to fly regardless. If I have it in London, people have to travel, you know, so it, it is kind of interesting to 
not only for other people, but for me to think, okay, well, my wedding and my life is maybe not as straightforward as other people's might be in terms of, you know, their family traditionally has stayed in one place and will continue to do so. Um, But then there's also the thing of, I might not have the opportunity to be an expat, you know, to be an expat, you have to have a job that allows you to go overseas and that, you know, thankfully pays for everything. And you get to live that life without having to worry about, you know, financial expenses on your behalf. And yeah, I, I always think I want to raise my kids in Singapore, but how do I get there? Cause like <laughs> I'm an actor, like there's no way that I'm getting an acting contract in Singapore. I mean, I might be there well, on a tour or you something. You never know. You never know. You could end I do up never there. Know. <laughs> I just, I, I don't quite see it happening, but I am definitely keeping my eyes out for opportunities. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be harder for me to live the life that my parents lived considering the industry that I'm in. And it will very much depend on, you know, who I end up with, whether or not I will have the opportunity to have the same, uh, life that my parents were able to give me and that I'll be able to give that to my child. And I don't know, like, I'm curious if you feel the same way that like you want your kid to have the same upbringing as you, or whether you want your kid to stay in the same place. I don't know. Well, I I wonder, it's difficult I mean, I know for sure. I, just, I, I also just, I also just assumed that you were going to have kids, and that was very silly of me. So, if you're not, please excuse that. Oh um, no, no, I guess no. Don't, <laughs> don't worry at all. Don't worry. Um, I mean, uh, I haven't made up my mind yet on that on that aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's that's a conversation, uh, a whole other conversation um, <laughs> that feeds into my that's a different podcast. No, literally, literally, yeah. I have a whole. Um, I wrote a whole play about motherhood, and now I'm just like completely like I don't know if I want to or. But anyway, oh, wow. here's here's the hypothetical. So let's say I did have kids. Um, yes, I yeah. would want them to like if I had the same lifestyle, for example, as my parents. For some strange mm-hmm. reason, I don't know what how that would come about. Um, yeah, also being sort of creatively inclined. Um, but yeah. um, I'd want them, yeah, I, I think I'd like, I'd like them to have that um, because I think it's, it's, an int- it's, it's a good life. And it's, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I find it hard to think of like the cons in terms of that. But then of course, you know, I was, yeah. like you say, we were expats. So we had, you know, there are lots of privileges that came with that. But um, the one yeah. thing I would do differently is I wouldn't send my kids to boarding school like we were because mm-hmm. I think there's something about that relationship with your parents that is missing or you really okay. need to work on. And I think that's what my sisters and I are discovering right now, all living together yeah. in our adulthood, like having lived away from our parents since the age of around, you know, 11 and 12. So like, and oh, Izzy, wow. you know, technically she moved out at nine. So, um, being, I didn't know that. Yeah. So like, it's, it's, I think that was, that's what I would do differently. I wouldn't send them away. Mm-hmm. Or if I did send them to like, Actually, I don't know if I would send them to boarding school at all. <laughs> Come to think of it, maybe not. Not that I had I think, a particularly... I think, oh, sorry. I, Go ahead. I think... No, sorry. I, I, I th- yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's difficult to know what you would do until you're in that situation. Um, and I think like as much as we can hypothesize about what we would do, we won't actually know until we're parents as well, you know? Hypothetically, if we are. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, now, um, I could literally talk to you all day about this, <laughs> really enjoying our discussion, but I'll draw it to a close um, okay. and I'll, um, I'll have to have you back at some point if, if you're yes, up for it. Yes, I would it. love to. We yes. could talk about so much more, but um, there's yes. only one question left to ask, uh, which mm-hmm. is, um, is there anything today that you'd like to plug or promote? 
Okay, I saw that on the little document that you sent over and I was like, do I plug my Instagram? It's not like particularly interesting. I don't have a niche or anything uh, specifically, but it's Isabel X Neve if anyone wants that. Um, but yeah, I didn't really want to plug anything. Um, I just wanted to plug, you know, especially right now, educating yourself, reading lots of different news sources on what's going on in the world and uh, just, you know, asking people to be kind to each other right now and to you know, just try and be an open person, be open-minded regardless of what context that is in. Um, you know, this year has been a difficult one for everyone. And so I think, you know, just treat each other with kindness, whether that is in regards to people's ethnicities and cultures or whether that's just in regards to like, you know, Christmas and people not feeling comfortable to see each other for COVID and, and those reasons. So yeah, I just want to put that out into the universe that, you know, I think we need to all be especially for giving this uh, holiday season and be open-minded and kind to each other. Absolutely. I totally agree. I'm definitely going to have to have Isabel back on because it was just so easy to talk to her. I feel like we only scratched the surface, so we'll definitely have to have her back. I mean, maybe we could do sort of catch-up episodes where I talk to the people who've already been on and see how they're doing. <gasps> Ideal! Right, going to work on that. Um, but thank you so much, Isabel, for for speaking to me. It was an absolute bloody pleasure. Um, be sure to follow her on social media. It's at Isabel with X Neve. If I didn't say that properly, it'll all be in the show notes. So do check that out. Um, and also like, rate, review, subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. And if you want to keep up to date with all things Floaters, give us a follow on Instagram. We're on at floaters underscore podcast. And uh, while I'm here, I thought I might uh, plug a little thing I wrote. Um, I wrote a personal essay for This and That Zine, which is an online magazine. Um, and it's sort of part of the snowball that led me here talking to you. And it's about third culture kids and xenophobia and how I feel about all of that. So do check it out. Uh, give it a Google. I can leave a little link somewhere for you as well. And um, while you're there, check out some of the other essays. There's some really lovely writing on there. Um, I think that's it for me, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So um, just nothing left to say other than thank you to Isabel once again. Thanks to Adora for your help with all the graphics. Thanks to Aral for his sound help. Check out his website, please. He's very good at his job. Um, it's in the show notes. And um, thank you to you, dear, dear listener. Aren't we having a nice time? I'm having a nice time. I hope you are too. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay sane. Until next time. Bye-bye.